Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered, the podcast of the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer, a global organization dedicated to research and practice advances in thoracic oncology. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud and at IASLC.org in the news section. Hello. In this episode of Lung Cancer Considered, the three co-chairs of our upcoming ISLC liquid biopsy meeting will discuss the current status of liquid biopsy as it pertains to thoracic cancer, and we'll also discuss some of the important questions that will be highlighted at our upcoming October workshop. I'm David Gandera, Director of Thoracic Oncology, Professor Emeritus, and Senior Advisor to the Director at the UC Davis Comprehensive Cancer Center. Joining me as co-chairs are Dr. Maria Arcilla, Director of the Diagnostic Molecular Pathology Laboratory at Memorial Sloan Kettering, and Christian Rolfo, Director of Thoracic Medical Oncology and Early Clinical Trials at the University of Maryland Comprehensive Cancer Center. He is a professor in the Division of Hematology Oncology there at Maryland, and he is also the educational chair of the International Society of Liquid Biopsy. Together, the three of us will be chairing our ISLC Hot Topic workshop on liquid biopsy. This will be our second ISLC workshop on this topic. Our first resulted in a consensus publication in the Journal of Thoracic Oncology two years ago, in which we brought a large number of experts together and came to some consensus about what was then the current state of liquid biopsy. As all of you know, the corona pandemic has upended our scientific meetings. While we originally planned to have this upcoming workshop as face-to-face, We're now looking forward to a robust virtual meeting, which will be held on October 2nd and 3rd later this year. So, Maria and Christian, thanks for joining me today. Uh, Please uh, say hello. Thank you. Hello. (laughs) Thank you for the invitation to ILCC. Hello, both. And again, thank you so much for the invitation as well. Well, today we're going to address several questions regarding liquid biopsy and how it will relate to our upcoming workshop. Christian, uh, to start us off, there are a large number of advances in liquid biopsy since our last workshop and the publication, which is uh, almost two years ago. Can you start us off by telling us what does liquid biopsy mean? What all does it encompass? And talk a little bit about the difference in liquid biopsy and tissue biopsy and what are some of the pros and cons of each? And Maria, as a pathologist, please also give us your thoughts. Yeah, thank you, David, for the question. So I think that uh, when we have the publication in 2018, we was focusing, obviously we are focusing free DNA for the clinical application. And at that moment, we was focused more in the single determination. So as you say, in the last two years, we have a lot of advances, and we certainly are more used uh, to recommend uh, next-generation sequencing, but also the possibility to identify uh, with the new technologies that we have right now more alterations like uh, fusions and, and, and new partners of these fusions as well. So liquid biopsy uh, was passing to be an, uh, a 
complement to be an uh, important tool to identify actionable mutations in our patients that have today on a, a good correlation clinical trials. Several uh, trials like Nile, the BFAST, were giving an important robustness to this concept. And we are now speaking actually of a blood first concept that was impossible to thinking about it in 2018. Uh, we are talking uh, about liquid biopsy and free DNA, but also there are other components in the, in the family that are also trying to demonstrate not also free DNA, but also, uh, for example, RNA or, or exosomes or concepts of CTC to demonstrate the applicability in clinical um, setting for lung cancer patients. Maria, what's are your thoughts? Yes, so um, just to, to mirror what Christian just said, there are many technologies uh, that can be used. And so from the laboratory perspective, there has been a tremendous amount of development in, in terms of what can we actually test, how comprehensive we can actually test. So cell-free DNA sequencing right now not only includes the very narrow targets for specific markers, but also you can do next-generation sequencing panels. And even within the next-generation sequencing panels, we have the more targeted approaches with, um, with hotspot panels, uh, the intermediate panels, and also the very, very comprehensive panels where we can give so much more information and also assess patients in uh, terms not only of the mutations that we know we can target, but in terms of discovery when we have uh, resistance mechanisms, uh, for example. From the laboratory perspective, another, another thing that is important to recognize is that what we usually think of liquid biopsies as being only cell-free DNA that gets recovered from, from plasma, there is a humongous opportunity as well for studying cell-free DNA on uh, body fluids. And any body fluid can be amenable for testing. And in particular for patients, for example, that have central, central nervous system involvement, where typically a biopsy would be extremely difficult, getting uh, cell-free DNA from CSF, for example, actually turns out to be superior than a biopsy because the mutations are at very high variant frequency, uh, which is compared to plasma, where sometimes you do not get that. Again, from the, from the perspective of the laboratory, um, it's important to say that the one challenge that one has to get around is the fact that these mutations can be at very low frequency. But again, the technology is being developed uh, in such a way that we can make very, very high sensitivity panels to be able to detect these mutations, even if they are present in very uh, low proportion. So it's, uh, it's just amazing to see, as, as Christian um, uh, mentioned, that uh, we are now thinking of this as being a, a, a first line of testing. And then if that is not informative, then we would visit the, the biopsy um, when, when that cell-free DNA is negative, for example. But again, we could spare many, many patients from a biopsy or from an invasive procedure when you can actually screen uh, patients, for example, up front with a liquid biopsy. So very exciting news for, for, for all of us uh, who are in this field. David, you know that we have uh, right now also the applicability of uh, liquid biopsy in different settings, not only in drug labels alterations, but also in immunotherapy as 
as you perfectly know with your data uh, coming from the uh, BMT. We are now speaking also about the liquid biopsy in the uh, in the initial diagnosis, in the screening. Actually, there is some also some data coming from the cancer interception. What what is the future that you see for initial diagnosis and upper recurrence in cancer patients? Oh, thanks, Christian. I think things are in transition right now. It used to be in oncology that either a, a treatment or a test was experimental and then a long time went by and then all of a sudden it became standard of care. But that timeline has shortened and it's particularly true for liquid biopsy. You know, when is something still investigational or when is it uh, ready for clinical application? So the future I think is now. We are moving very rapidly into using liquid biopsy in many different settings in lung cancer. And we should point out to our audience that lung cancer, non-small cell lung cancer, is a poster child for liquid biopsy and for tissue biopsy because we have uh, cancers that are genomically complex. We now have eight oncogenes, which at the time of initial diagnosis, uh, we should look for. So it's not just EGFR or ALK anymore, it's eight. And KRAS coming very soon, KRAS G12C will make it nine. So that means that if you employ either tissue biopsy or liquid biopsy, it needs to be broad-based. Now, at the time of initial diagnosis, one point that's very important for the practicing clinician is turnaround time. And there, uh, I would like both of your comments a little bit later, but I think that's where liquid biopsy uh, can uh, help us because by the time a practicing physician orders the tissue biopsy, the biopsy is performed, the pathologist processes it, and then you do your tissue testing, uh, that takes quite a while. Some of the commercially available liquid biopsy platforms have turnaround times in the range of seven days. So I think that is uh, an advance and it can be helpful in, in many cases. But beyond that, we are now using liquid biopsy perhaps preferentially at the time of recurrence in an oncogene-driven cancer to look for mechanisms of acquired resistance to see if the treatment should be altered or uh, designed to address what's found on liquid biopsy. There are many other things that are coming along that we'll discuss at our workshop, such as detection of mineral residual disease, uh, monitoring, uh, help in early diagnosis, but I'll, I'll save those things for later. You completely agree. It's very fascinating how we are moving so fast in the in the field, no? And uh, and like you say, that the, the, to apply this also as a screening, as a, a monitoring of the disease, and finally as a, a, a opportunity to identify also mechanisms of resistance. Maria, talking about a screening, do you believe that in the future or or nearby we will? have a testing screening replaced uh, of liquid biopsy from the methods that we have right now? Well, I, I'm not exactly sure that it went it will entirely replace the biopsy. It is important to say that at the time that a patient is diagnosed with, um, with a malignancy, 
you have to assess that malignancy and ensure that it is in fact a lung uh, carcinoma. So at this point, based on on the the algorithms to be able to diagnose a, a lung cancer, we still need that morphology to be able to say what type of cancer it is and confirm it as lung. However, I think that because of, of the difficulties in obtaining a, a biopsy and obtaining a large enough biopsy to do comprehensive testing, liquid biopsies will be extremely important in that first initial screening and may be followed by confirmation when you do not find a marker that, um, that, that is useful for, for treatment. So say, for example, you, you have a liquid biopsy that happens to show an EGFR mutation or a fusion that is relevant for treatment, and that, it, and that is, is more lung cancer specific, then in that, in that point, in that case, you wouldn't need a biopsy because you already have something that is targetable. However, that, if that liquid biopsy happens to be negative, then that really doesn't replace the biopsy and the biopsy will be necessary to be able to better assess that. So I think it's just going to have to be a combination of the two. But definitely the issue of the turnaround time is, uh, is, is a very difficult thing to get around when you have different workflows uh, within laboratories and within institutions. And sometimes it takes so long to be able to get that biopsy to the molecular lab. And within the molecular lab, you have a very long turnaround time depending on the type of assay that, you have, that you're performing. So I think that this is where the liquid biopsy shines and you're hoping for a a positive result that will be able to triage your, your patient the most rapidly that you can. I agree. David, talking about that, Maria introduced the question also or, or the topic of a screening and I, and I think it's a very important topic because we have currently, the only thing that we have right now is the low dose CT scan for a screening. What are your thoughts about that? Do you believe that the liquid biopsy can complement that, can also give an important contribution in the screening of lung cancer patients? It's a very hot topic. I agree, Christian. It is a hot topic. And for our audience, of course, they know that individuals who are at high risk for lung cancer, uh, such as smokers, that low-dose CT scan screening is now accepted as a new standard of care worldwide. Uh, but there's a lot of difficulty in determining what nodule that shows up on a screening CT is worth further investigation, including a biopsy, or is it something that should just be followed, or is it something that is clearly benign? So here, there is a lot of information coming out about using circulating tumor DNA to identify abnormalities either in genomics or methylation that could really push us towards saying that this nodule is a malignancy and therefore it's worth the risks and the costs of further working up that patient. My um, estimation is with, within the next just few years that we will be using liquid biopsy to complement our current screening methods. No, that's a great, great point. So we have also the data coming from these two 
very nice articles. One was published in Annals of Oncology this year, and the other one is from the Stanford groups coming with different technologies that we can apply for the screening. Beside the cases that we have also with the integration of the microRNAs, for example, of this Italian study that was presented at World Lung Cancer Conference. So I think we will have in the next year also several uh, news regarding to this specific uh, scenario. But also in the minimal residual disease, for example, is, uh, is also another important uh, area that we saw several trials coming and several companies that are trying to, to answer this important question. Yeah, so just to just to make a comment in here as well, but it, it is obviously important to also understand what the what the biology and the, the actual findings on cell free DNA are for different types of tumors. And there are some tumors depending on many factors, including the the, cir the circulation status and, uh, and and many others that do not shed sufficient uh, cell-free DNA in circulation. Um, mm -hmm. So so definitely, you know, when you have a positive liquid biopsy is extremely informative and will spare the patient from, from, from a procedure. Um, however, a negative uh, doesn't, and those are the ones where we really need to uh, figure out what to do going forward. So, uh, you know, we, we have, I mean, there would be many, many topics that will be addressed during our uh, liquid biopsy meeting. And when, Christian, I just, just uh, can you give us a summary on what the listeners should expect from this meeting? Uh, some of the key highlights, uh, maybe not all because there are going to be many of them, but uh, the, the key highlights would be great for our listeners. Yeah, we was working a lot to have an, a, a plan or a, an agenda that is covering several of the aspects that are hot topic at this moment. And obviously what we was discussing right now are included there. But I think the most important part here, even if we are going virtually, the idea that we will have this discussion. So we plan to have several sessions with multidisciplinary molecular tumor boards that we can see really which ones are the cases that we are applying uh, uh, the liquid biopsy, the discussions about how we need to report, the discussions how we need to also interpret uh, the, the results. And obviously the workshops that we have also included, we have an, a workshop with the technologies that I think will be very important for not only doctors, oncologists, but also for people who is working in the lab trying to integrate this translational part. We are also planning to have in the future a section uh, about the um, the future perspectives in in uh, in liquid biopsy, including minimal residual disease, for example, or uh, the use of other other members of the big family like CTCs. And I think there will be an uh, uh, important feedback uh, from these people, be, that the participants, because we have an agenda that is very open for discussion. We have uh, also the opportunity to have abstracts. We have received already several abstracts and they will be online. And uh, obviously we are eager that uh, everybody is participating. It's, I'll just add that, you know, ISLC, the I and ISLC stands for international. So this will be a, a workshop that addresses how we can use liquid biopsy around the world. In other words, accessibility costs. We'll talk about this more in a moment. So that's a favorite saying that the I stands for international of our former 
CEO Paul Bunn. And I think it's important here because ISLC wants also to provide education and talk about clinical application in a way that's applicable around the world. Yeah, and just to just to add something very quickly, I mean, for, for all of us, even when we do this every day, the technology and the and the field itself is just moving so fast that it's really hard to catch up and read all of the literature that we need to read to be up to date. So this is a great opportunity to to hear directly from the experts on how they're handling things, what they, where they see the field going, and how we can also incorporate many of the things that other institutions are doing into our own institutions so that we can do this in, in a more homogeneous way. Exactly. We have a very good also faculty that they are including the major authors of all the publications that are uh, leading the, the knowledge uh, at this moment in the field. And this leads us into another topic that uh, I'd like to address before we close. So Christian and and Maria, uh, and that's because we're international. How accessible are liquid biopsies worldwide? What's the availability? And what's the cost? In other words, um, let's say that you're talking about using liquid biopsy in a sequential fashion, where first you test for EGFR and then you test for ALK and so forth, versus a broad-based next-generation sequencing. What are, what's the, the cost-effectiveness of using liquid biopsy in that context? Uh, Christian, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think uh, regarding to the accessibility of the liquid biopsy, that is obviously one of the problems that we have because if we are talking about differences in the re- different regions in the world, not all the patients have access to that. And that is a, because it's a good technology that we can use for, for our patients. We are actually speaking about blood first, but some people are not having this opportunity. So there are some regions in the world uh, that they are using more uh, in-home uh, or in-house technologies that they are creating their own panels. Some other regions, they only have access to, for example, COVAS version 2 for uh, only for EGFR T17IM. So the reality is completely different in different places. And also the idea, there is a second point here, is the access to the drugs when we have the results. If, we, if I have access to a big technology with a big coverage that Maria was explaining before, do I have access to my patients for these drugs? That's another point. Obviously, in terms of cost effectiveness, I think it's more effective to go for panels that are covering several alterations because we are not only talking about one driver mutation, but also we are talking about commutations. That is also a concept that we are integrating now in the care of our patients with driver actionary mutations. And this is very important. So I, I think there are some governments in, uh, in, in Europe, for example, that they are including, like France or Belgium, that they are including in the, in the uh, healthcare system the idea to include this next generation sequencing, even not big platform, but at least to help the patients to identify these alterations. There is a lot of things to do. There are also, we don't need to forget when we are speaking about, for example, in-house technology, that they are preclinicals or preanalyticals, uh, preanalytical steps that n- need to be considered, and the quality uh, validation and the controls uh, are crucial. So uh, it's a very interesting uh, discussion. I think we will we will discuss more 
there also because we need to include advocacy patients. We need to include also the regulatory agencies in order to, to make this accessible for our patients. Yeah, I think from my end, I think that liquid biopsies do bring a possibility that at the end, it ends up bringing price down in uh, in terms of the of the testing. Um, and, and I say this because right now we usually say, well, let's do next generation sequencing upfront because the biopsies that we have are very small. We end up testing for one or two markers and then we end up with absolutely no tissue to be to be to test anything else. But being that liquid biopsies are more accessible, there is also the possibility to very rapidly be able to get a, a, a liquid biopsy, one or two tubes, and test for one or two or three different uh, most common markers. And it's something that is more amenable to be able to test by single gene assays. Um, and not, you know, again, not to say that, that the next generation sequencing is not the proper way to go when you want to te- to test everything up front and get it over and get it and get it done from the beginning but for institutions that do not have the comprehensive and the, the comprehensiveness of the assays the liquid biopsies just bring the opportunity to be able to do that testing and then also the fact that we would have to test for KRAS, for example, as well, that already um, a, a patient that is positive for KRAS, that's 30, you know, anywhere from 20 to 30% of the population of patients that have lung anocarcinoma already filters out a lot of those patients that do not need to be tested by any other method because of the mutually exclusive nature of those mutations. So as part of a properly thought algorithm, you could really save a lot in terms of cost for for any institution, even if they do not have next generation sequencing. I'll just add that uh, there have been some cost analysis done that suggests that next generation sequencing liquid biopsy becomes cost effective or tissue for that matter once you get above testing for four oncogenes. And of course, now in non-small cell lung cancer, we're up to eight with the ninth KRAS G12C probably to be added soon. Uh, Also a very nice analysis by our colleague, Nathan Pinnell, a modeling on cost effectiveness, uh, which in his um, results showed that next generation sequencing was cost effective. And in fact, uh, also had by liquid biopsy, a shorter turnaround time. So I I think we're moving again worldwide toward a situation where we can offer liquid biopsy uh, as a complementary or as an alternative in some cases. Some of the liquid biopsy uh, companies that uh, uh, have availability worldwide Uh, have a median turnaround time of seven days, whether you're ordering from Singapore or from uh, Los Angeles. So I think, again, we're moving rapidly in that direction. Any other comments, Maria or Christian? No, I think we will have several other discussions. We can continue here, but I think we can have a lot of room to do discussions in uh, in our virtual meeting, and we are looking forward to have everybody there. I actually did not have any comments. I agreed entirely with what Christian said. All right. Well, thank you, Maria and Christian, for your time today and and certainly for your collaboration on developing this ISLC workshop. 
And thank you to the listeners for joining us in this episode of Lung Cancer Considered. Remember to rank and review ISLC podcasts on the website. I hope you give us a good review or SoundCloud and to share them with your colleagues. As a reminder, you can register now for the liquid biopsy meeting on the ISLC website and keep your eye out for our paper this fall, which will update our perspective on liquid biopsy, which will be published in the Journal of Thoracic Oncology. So thank you all. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Visit the news section on IASLC.org for more Lung Cancer Considered podcasts. And please like your favorite episodes on SoundCloud and share them with your friends and colleagues. 